Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. As uh, I think most of you will have noticed already that we had an interesting week in our household. It goes in the category of accidents happen and uh, Leanne misjudged how many stairs there were on our basement steps, I believe, and she missed, I think, the bottom three. So if you're wondering about where the crutches or why the crutches are there, that about explains it. So uh, pray for a speedy recovery. Um, For those of you who are doing math, we leave on our trip for Israel, hopefully, in about six weeks, which is usually the amount of time doctors say bones take to heal. So it's cutting things a little close, so pray for healing and or wisdom on, on how to proceed with that. So appreciate that this morning. It's so great in times like this, though, to realize we're part of such a uh, caring church family and already to have had a supper brought over and uh, to have others who are willing to do so. We just feel blessed and, and thankful for the extra help. It goes a long ways and it is truly appreciated. Uh, and I'm sure many of you have experienced that, that caring aspect of our church family in times of need. And so um, just a reminder for us and we're very thankful for it. Uh, would you now bow with me as we enter God's word together and let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning so much for your provision for us. Lord, as we are reminded in the story of Noah, that God, when we fear you, when we honor you, you protect us, Lord, and you you provide, Lord, in amazing ways. Thank you, Lord, for the provision for each one of us in being a part of this church family and how we can care for each other in times of need. Thank you so much for that, Lord, and we pray that we would only continue in that. And Lord, as we pray to that end, we think of those who are uh, in difficult circumstances right now. We think of Ann Anderson, Lord, in the hospital. We don't know her situation altogether, Lord, but we do know that you are there with her. We know that you know her situation. And that, Lord, whatever um, is happening with her body, Lord, we pray for your hand of healing upon it. We pray more than that, Lord, that your presence would be with her even now and give her a special awareness that you are near and that... Her brothers and sisters in the Lord here are thinking thinking of her and praying for her. So be with her, Lord. We pray the same for Frank, Lord, as he is at home recovering from illness. And we just pray, Lord, for a special blessing for him and Marge this morning. Be with them, Lord, and near to them as well. We think of that as well, Lord, for those in Bayside. Be near to them and help us, Lord, to always remember to lift them up in our prayers as well as to stop by and to give them words of encouragement, Lord. We know that goes a long ways, and so help us in this, Lord. Father, now as we turn to your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Lord, that you would guide us not only to understand, but also in how we can apply this to our unique situations. And so we pray, God, for your wisdom. I ask for your boldness to speak through me, Lord. Give me clear, a clear voice, Lord, and boldness to speak your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Black Bart was a notorious outlaw of the Wild West. His name struck fear in anyone who heard the name Black Bart, especially those of the Wells Fargo stage line who he terrorized for many years. From San Francisco to New York, Black Bart's name became synonymous with the danger of the Wild West. Between 1875 and 1883, he robbed 29 different stagecoach crews. Amazingly, In all of those 29 holdups, 
Black Bart did it all without firing a single shot. Over his head, he wore a flour sack with holes cut for the eyes and for the mouth. So this terrifying visage of a man holding guns with his flour sack over his head, no one ever saw his face. He never took a a single hostage, and he was never once trailed by a sheriff. Instead, Black Bart would later say that he didn't need to fire a shot at all. All he had to do was use fear to paralyze his victims. He said, fear, the face of the unknown, was my weapon of choice, my weapon of intimidation. His sinister presence and his threat of words was enough to overwhelm even the toughest of stagecoach guards, and they would all immediately throw down their weapons. We too live in a world marked by fear, marked by intimidation. We fear both what is known and especially we fear what is unknown. Fear is a volatile emotion, and so no matter how irrational the fear may be, it's a powerful motivator of our actions. You know, to this very day, I'm certain that if you want to see my mother jump straight onto a chair at speeds that rival an Olympic athlete, all you would need to do is secretly release a mouse at her feet, and you would have just to sit back and watch the show. (laughs) Now, Mom, I'm not saying I would ever do something like that. Someone else might, but not me. Now, if looked at objectively, there isn't much to fear from a little old mouse, is there? But in the moment when you're afraid of something, the fear is anything but objective. And that is why in order to overcome our fears, we must examine them objectively in the light of day in order that it will not overwhelm us in the dark of night. That is what we are going to do here today. We're going to examine our fears in light of God's word so that we can overcome them when we are faced by them in the dark, in the reality of the moment. So turn with me this morning, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to continue where we left off from last week, beginning in verse 13 and 14. Beginning in verse 13, we read, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. The first point that I'd like to draw out for your consideration this morning is this. Suffering for Jesus is a blessing, not a curse. Now, Peter's question must have hung in the air for quite some time the moment those first Christians heard it. The question being, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do what is good? Now, I'm sure that as that question hung in the air, they could begin to rattle off some names. You've got to remember the context into which Peter was speaking was one where persecution was increasing and becoming the norm. And so for these Christians scattered throughout the Mediterranean world and the Roman Empire, persecution for doing good was beginning to happen. And so as Peter asked the question, they're looking at each other, there's a lot of people who are beginning to persecute us for doing good. You see, these followers of Jesus were no strangers to fear and suffering. And so these scattered Christians that Peter is writing to are not the faint of heart. These are not shrinking violets who are afraid of their own shadows. No, these are courageous believers. They have already suffered for the sake of the gospel message. If they had been shrinking back, if they had been hiding their faith away, there wouldn't have been much 
persecution to speak of because they would have just blended in with everyone else. But they didn't just blend in. No, they stood out. They stood up boldly for their faith. They were zealous for the Lord. In fact, they are described elsewhere as people who burned with zeal for the Lord. It's an old-fashioned kind of a, a, a saying to say they burned with zeal. But that is the best description of the sort of lives that these believers were living. But even these believers who are burning with zeal for the Lord, in other words, they are so enthusiastic to just share the word, to do what God's wanting them to do, the best description is they are on fire. But even they are human. And for anyone, suffering for doing good can discourage even the most passionate Christian. You know, I think nothing takes the wind out of our sails faster then when we're obedient to God, he's asked us to do something and we've, we've done it. We've been obedient to do what he asked us to do. And then we're persecuted for it. Nothing just throws cold water on our fire faster than being obedient and suffering as a result. And so here we see that's what's happening to these early believers. They're being attacked for doing what is right. And when that happens... It takes the wind out of our sails, it's cold water on our fire, and the temptation is to shrink back, afraid of suffering or being attacked again. Now, Peter knew this all too well. You have to remember that this is the same Simon Peter who is writing this letter, who was the bold Simon who declared he would never forsake the Lord, and yet on the night of his betrayal, the trial, and the crucifixion, it was Peter who denied his Lord three times, to a servant girl. Why? Because he was afraid. Peter knew what fear could do to someone in the moment. He knew how he had shrunk back at the moment when his Lord needed him the most because fear had gripped his heart. He could not live out his faith as he had professed it. And so Peter, knowing what this crippling fear can do to someone, he's not dismissing their fear. He's not simply saying, stop being so scared, suck it up and keep going. That's not what he's doing here. Instead, Peter is acknowledging their fear in the face of persecution. And instead of of saying, just get over it, he encourages them. And listen to his next line. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This seems counterintuitive to us, doesn't it? If you should suffer for doing right, you are blessed. Now, some of you here today, I know some of you here have experienced or maybe still experiencing suffering. Suffering takes all sorts of forms and shapes. But whatever your suffering is, some of you have perhaps even suffered because of doing what God asked you to do. You know what that feels like. It, it tears at your heart. It saps your strength. And maybe some of you here today are feeling a little beat up. Maybe you're afraid to keep serving God faithfully because it could mean more suffering. It could mean more attacks. It could mean more persecution. But I want to present for your consideration this morning a different thought. That rather than viewing suffering and persecution as something to be avoided, could it be that while we see it as our enemy, God wants to use suffering as our friend? A friend who will take us by the hand. A friend who will teach us God's amazing ability to bring blessing out of pain. That's what Peter says. 
that even if you are even if you are persecuted for doing what is right, he says, you are blessed. Someone once asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? To which C.S. Lewis replied, why not? They're the only ones who should be able to take it. Isn't that right? If we have God with us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, when persecution, when suffering comes, why not us? Because we're the ones who should be able to take it. Another English author by the name of Somerset Moham once wrote a story about a janitor at St. Peter's Church in London. One day, a young vicar discovered that the janitor was illiterate, and he promptly fired him. He didn't want to have any illiterates working in his church. Jobless, the man invested his meager savings in a tiny tobacco shop. Where he prospered, he ended up buying another shop. The man then invested again, expanded, and ended up with a chain of tobacco stores worth a small fortune. One day, the man's banker said to him, You've done amazingly well for an illiterate. You can't do your own books, but yet somehow you have succeeded so well in business. Just imagine where you would be if you could read and write. To which the former janitor, illiterate man, replied, Where would I be if I could read and write? I'd be a janitor of St. Peter's Church in Neville Square. See, sometimes things that we perceive as being a curse are actually blessings in disguise. Sometimes something that in the moment we would see as unjust or unfair treatment can lead to God's blessing down the road. You see, there are some blessings that can only be experienced by someone who has traveled the path of suffering. So do not fear the path. Instead, focus on the one who you are traveling with. This leads us to our second point for your consideration this morning. Jesus' presence is greater than our worst fear. Now, if suffering for Jesus is actually a blessing, then I want you to consider that the blessing is none other than the person and presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus' presence is greater than even our worst fear. Verses 14 and 15 of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. There is nothing quite like being blindsided by your worst fear and discovering that Christ's presence is still there with you and will carry you through. What is your worst fear? What is it? Could you name your worst fear? Is it mice? Is it snakes? Is it spiders? Is it something else far more insidious? What is your worst fear? Do you believe that whatever name your worst nightmare scenario that you can imagine, do you believe that if it were to happen to you, that Jesus would be able to bring you through it? Do you believe that? Surveys consistently show that the number one fear for many people is public speaking. And I guess I don't fall into that category. Another fear is high on many people's lists is heights. Sorry for the pun. Now, if you fall into that category, sorry, you might want to plug your ears for this next story. All right. A man by the name of Eric Valley, professional photographer, he is entered a photo contest with National Geographic. 
and it brought him to this precarious situation. Eric Valley gulped and tried not to look down as he dangled precariously by a single nylon rope looped under his arms on the face of a 395-foot sheer cliff in Nepal. Nearby, another man named Manny Lal is casually working from a rope ladder, not harnessed in in any way. He is doing what he's done for decades, gathering honey. There in the Himalayan foothills, the cliff shelter honeycombs of the world's largest honeybees. And so, what they would do is they would dangle there from these rope ladders, not harnessed in, and they would harvest the honey from the honeycombs in the cracks of the cliff. And so there they are, doing what he has done for decades in the family, and Eric is taking pictures. So dangling there, hundreds of feet above the rocks, Eric photographed Manny when suddenly hundreds of these giant honeybees come swarming out, attacking them. Now, Manny is a veteran of many such attacks. He knew that the best thing to do was remain calm, not move, simply cover your eyes and wait for the swarm to leave. Not so Eric. Eric felt the overwhelming urge to simply panic. Later on, he described these events in National Geographic where he said, There were so many bees and I was afraid that I was going to freak out and just lose my mind. But I knew if I did, I would be dead. So I took a deep breath and relaxed. Getting stung would be better than finding myself at the bottom of the cliff. And so he steeled himself, overcame his fears, and won a photo competition for his efforts. These sort of stories show us what we do and how we react in that moment of fear. Literally, hanging in the balance can make all the difference between life and death. Fear, panic, can send a person plummeting to destruction. And some believers, fearing the stings of persecution, testing, and temptation, have panicked, have compromised their faith, have slipped from the lifeline, which is Jesus Christ. And that is why the Bible tells us that in the face of fear, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. The word revere is defined as to regard with deep respect, tinged with awe. Do you regard Jesus Christ with deep respect, tinged with awe. Think about that for a moment. How do you regard Jesus Christ? In your situation, in your moment of crisis, Peter says, revere Christ as Lord. Do you consider the greatest man who ever lived to be your Lord? If you do, and if you revere him in that way, knowing he is your Lord, Lord meaning master, Lord meaning in control of every aspect of your life, including a time of persecution, if you are revering him as Lord, what do you have left to fear? That's what Peter's getting at. In the face of fear, he says, do not be frightened. Do not fear what other people fear. Instead, revere Christ as Lord. If you have given yourself completely to him, he is in control of every aspect of your life, then he is also in control of the moment of persecution. He is in control of how much suffering you are receiving. He is also in control of the moment you are going to die. 
And if we have put our lives and our death in his hands, what is there left to fear? You see, the mind and life of the devoted Christian is so focused upon Jesus Christ that there is no room left for fear. He no longer needs to fear or suffer because no matter what happens to him, he will always have his most cherished possession, which is none other than the presence of Jesus Christ himself. He knows that Jesus is going to look after him, provide for him, no matter what comes his way, no matter how crazy the situation, Jesus will never leave. And so in the face of this, even when we experience fear, we need not panic, we need not lose heart, because Jesus is there. Do we believe that? If we do truly believe that, fear does not cause us to shrink back, hold back. Instead, we continue to move forward in obedience to what God is calling us to do. You see, the Christian who possesses Christ and all the promises of Christ can and will live in victory over fear. So whatever the black Bart or the, the swarm of giant killer bees or losing a job or whatever other fear is out there in your mind hanging, hanging on, the fear of death, the fear of losing loved ones, whatever is there, bring them to Jesus Revere him as Lord. And what do you have left to fear? Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This leads us to our third point this morning. Are you scared or prepared? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter continues, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The last line tells us that we're not to shove the gospel message down anyone's throat. But instead, we're to live our lives in such a way that people will be curious as to why. Why do you live the way you do? Why do you talk the way you do? What drives your life? Why are you so hopeful in the face of what seems to be a despairing situation? And so when we live our lives in that way and people ask the question, we are be people, Peter instructs them to not be afraid to share their love and passion for God, even in the face of exactly these sorts of persecutions. Peter already knows they're facing these types of pressures, and he says, in the face of this, continue to share your faith. Don't shrink back, but be prepared, be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks. This is what Peter instructs them, and I believe that this is the same thing that Peter would say to us here today. Even if it puts us in direct odds with the culture in which we are living, a one, one which says everyone can choose what's right for them, everyone can choose their own truth, it's all relative, who are we to impose another set of values on someone else, a, a world that, that says exactly those sort of things, we are to be clear and consistent in the message of the gospel. We're to be clear that truth is not just whatever people want it to be. Truth is found primarily in the revealed word of God. And we hold to this, and we don't make apologies for holding to this, even in the face of a culture that says, who are you to shove your, your version of truth down our throats? We're not shoving it down anyone's throats. We simply are convinced and believe that this is the truth. And we're concerned about people who are deceived by something else masquerading itself as the truth leading them astray. And so, we give an answer. We have to be prepared to give an answer. But in that moment, when the, the opportunity is presented, 
let me ask you, are you prepared? Now, I'm going to put myself in this camp right now of having been given golden opportunities and having passed them up because I wasn't ready, I wasn't prepared. Have you been there? Now, let me ask you, when is it that we make preparation? Does it happen in that split second? Of course not. Preparation happens in advance. That's what we have to do. So are we prepared in advance or are we prepared to make an excuse? The author Zig Ziglar writes this account. My brother, the late judge, um, Judge Ziglar, loved to tell the story of the fellow who went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. Now, the neighbor explained that he couldn't let him use the lawnmower because all of the flights had been canceled from New York to Los Angeles. The man just has a puzzled look on his face. What does the flights being canceled from New York to Los Angeles have absolutely anything to do with you not being able to borrow me your lawnmower? To which he was given the reply, It doesn't have anything to do with it, but if I don't want to let you use my lawnmower, one excuse is as good as another. Doesn't that about sum it up when it comes to excuses? The same sentiment holds true when it comes to sharing our faith, giving a response to others. One excuse is as good as another if we're going to remain silent. But behind the excuse is always, almost always the same underlying reason, fear, paralyzed in the moment. What if they make fun of me? What if I mess things up? What if I say it wrong? What if I lose them as a friend? And this is why Peter tells us, prepare. This happens beforehand. And preparation means more than just listening to a sermon on Sunday morning, though this is part of it. You also need to read and study the Word of God for yourself. You need to cultivate a personal prayer life with God. If you're not doing these things, I'm sorry, my friends, but you are unprepared. If you are not in the Word of God, if you are not communicating with Him in prayer on a, on a regular basis, a daily basis, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not prepared. If you want to be prepared, be in the Word, be in prayer with God, then you need to cultivate this in community. Talk with other believers about these things. Learn from each other. Pray for each other. Spur each other on. There's nothing like accountability in these areas to say, hey, you can do better. Here's here's how you can learn from my situation. And so we spur each other on. My friends, if your Bible is neglected and your spiritual passion is low, when that moment comes, you will be paralyzed by fear 99 times out of 100. But it doesn't have to be that way. God is looking for people to seek him with passion and to trust him with the faith of a child. Revere him as the Lord of their life and be prepared. Then when the opportunity comes and the question is asked, you won't have to make an excuse because you're prepared to give an answer about the hope that you have as a believer. And so finally, what is that hope? Notice that Peter phrases this very specifically. When they ask about the hope that is in you, what is your hope? In the face of your greatest fear, what is your hope? Drop down to verse 18, and Peter tells the world what his hope is. He writes this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to lead us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. This is our hope, my friends, that Christ died for our sins. One person died the death for everyone. 
One person who is righteous for all of us who are unrighteous to bring us to God. And not only to bring us to God, but to guarantee us that this life is not the end. That just as Jesus was put to death in the the body, he was brought to life again by the Spirit. And so he goes before us and says, follow me. And though you may die in the body, like me, you will be made alive again in the Spirit. And so we believe in the resurrection yet to come. That this life is not the end. That for the Christian, death is not the end of life. It is the doorway into a new life that is greater than one that we can imagine. One where we will be forever with our God. One where death and suffering will be done for good. And that, my friends, is a living hope. It is a living hope that is worth sharing with a dying world that needs to know it. Because this hope we have in Jesus, this hope we have can conquer even our greatest fears, even death itself. Dr. W.A. Criswell, a pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, once shared this story of an occasion on an airplane flight that he found himself seated beside a very well-known theologian. They started a conversation, and the man told Dr. Criswell a little ways in about how he had recently lost his little boy. Dr. Criswell listened as he told his story. He said his boy had come home from school one day with a fever, At first, they had thought it was just one of those childhood flus that would soon pass, but it turned out to be a very lethal form of meningitis. The doctor said, we cannot save your little boy. He will die. And so this seminary professor, loving his son as he did, sat day by day at his bedside to watch this death vigil. It was the middle of the day, and as the little boy's last strength was leaving him, his vision was getting clouded, And he said, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? The professor said to his son, Yes, son, it's getting dark, very dark. Daddy, I guess it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? He said, Yes, son, it's time for you to go to sleep. The professor shared how the little fellow had a way of fixing his pillow just so, putting his head on it, and when he slept... He would have his hands under his head in a peculiar way, and so his son did that. He fixed his pillow just so, laid his head on his hands, looked up at his father. With a peaceful expression, he said, Daddy, good night. I'll see you in the morning. He closed his eyes, sighed peacefully, and was gone. His spirit left his body, was entrusted into the hands of a holy God. Dr. Criswell said the professor didn't say anything for a long time. He shared the story and just looked out the window of the airplane for a long, long time. Finally, he turned back, and with Scalding tears streaming down his cheeks, he said, Dr. Criswell, I can't wait for the morning. That, my friends, is the hope that we have. This is a living hope. This is a hope that believes in the morning to come. 
that though we may say goodbye to loved ones in this life through faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that we will see them again in the morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57 says, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, have you experienced the victory that comes through only Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you living in the hope of that victory? Are you day by day living, looking forward to the morning when we shall see him and we will be reunited? That whatever suffering, whatever trials we face in this life will be put in perspective once and for all. And it will all have been worth it when we see his face, the face of the one who loved us, who gave himself for us, so that we could live and have hope not only for this life, but for the the life that we believe is yet to come. May God strengthen you today to overcome fear, to not be afraid as the world is afraid, but instead revere Christ as Lord and know that the morning is coming. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that through your son's sacrifice, we have hope, Lord, hope that overcomes even our greatest fear. And so, Father, if there is anyone here today who is facing a fear, who is living in fear of an unknown future, I pray, O God, that they would put you in the proper place in their lives, that they would revere you as Lord, giving over all fears and all worry for the future to you, knowing that you are in control, you know the future, you love us, and to no matter what end, you will see us safely through to that morning when we shall meet again and see you face to face. Thank you, Lord, for this living hope that we have in you. May it transform us in the way that we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.